want you to imagine with me for just a moment that God has given me information about what you're supposed to do in your life. And I want you to imagine for a moment you actually trust me, okay? So I come to you and I say, this is what God wants you to do. Now I want to ask you for a moment, how would you respond to that? Would you say, well, I really want to think about this. I want more information. Or would you say, great, I'm ready, here I am. How would you respond if I came to you and said, this is what God wants you to do in your life? How would you go through the process? Would you think about all the, all the pros and cons? Would you weigh it and think, okay, what's going to be best for me in my life? A number of years ago, I, had, I was still relatively young, and there were, I had an opportunity to either go to a church in Michigan or to go back to California from Arizona and to go back into business where I had been trained. And it was a tough decision because the church I was at at the time, things were, had been challenging. It wasn't a real healthy situation. I was an associate pastor, and things were a little challenging. And I wasn't sure I wanted to keep doing this, this full-time church thing. I thought, you know what? It'd be nice to go back into business and actually make money. It would be nice to have that security. And so here's this opportunity. Michigan, which I had only been to once to interview, or Southern California where all my family lives and where all my fr growing up friends live, which would it be? Now, Beth immediately knew God is calling us to Michigan. This is where we need to be, Don. This is where we need to be. What I sat down and did was I listed out on a piece of paper all the pros and the cons. The question I wasn't asking is, God, where do you want me to be? The question I was asking was, where's my life going to be most secure? Where was my life going to be the safest? Where was the place where my, parent, my children would grow up and life would be easiest for them? Those were the questions that I was asking. They were the wrong questions. The question I needed to ask was simply this. God, where do you want me to be? Where are you calling me to be? What have you prepared me to do? That was the only question I should have been asking. But I remember an experience that I had had when I was... Uh, about 14 years old, my other, older brother, Chris, many of you know, 16 years old, he had just gotten his license, and we were involved in the YMCA, and we volunteered as two teenage boys to take a woman out who was living in a nursing home to go to a movie. And I remember this woman, partly because I was 14, and she had a glass eye, and I had never seen anything that cool. But also, I remember, because she had not been out of the grounds of that property in, I think, more than 20 years. She hadn't been out of the grounds of this nursing home. And I remember as Chris was driving us to the movie, I remember her just ooing and aahing at how everything had changed. So we went to the movie. We brought her back home. Now we're on our way home. And we were going through a four-way... Um, stoplight, 
and our light was green, and there had been an accident at the corner, and apparently this driver coming this way wasn't paying attention, ran the red light, and hit us. Now, didn't hurt us really, it did damage, but it didn't really hurt us, and the policeman didn't see it who was riding up that accident, and, and, and the driver of the car said, yeah, it was my fault, I wasn't paying attention, but later she recanted and said, no, this young boy ran a red light. My brother had to go to court, and fortunately she admitted what she had done. But I remember as a 14-year-old who wasn't even a Christian, I didn't know, I believed in a higher power, I believed there was a God, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the God that we worship. I just believed there was this higher power. And I remember thinking, God, why would you let this happen? I'm doing something good. This isn't right. If I'm doing something good, if I'm serving, if I'm being kind, if I'm being gracious, then you should never have let that happen to us. And certainly my brother should not have had to go through that. Because you see, when we think about the will of God, here's how most people think. It's going to make my life easier, safer, more comfortable. I'm not going to have to suffer. I'm not going to have to go through hard things. When most people come to me and ask, I'm trying to wrestle with God's will for my life, really what they're asking is, I want to know God's will so that my life will be easier and better. We're going to see in the story of Joseph that sometimes we can be at the very center of the will and purpose and design of God, and life can be hard. There can be struggle. There could be heartache. There could be hardship. Because you see, there's something bigger in this world that God is about than just my comfort and my security in this world. That's what we're going to see in the life of Joseph this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and follow along. Is I, there are three things that I want you to see in this amazing, amazing story of this incredibly godly man. I love the story of Joseph. And I had spent some time with the very little information there is about Joseph, really trying to understand who this man was. And I'll tell you, he was a godly man. No surprise to me that he is the man that God the father chose to raise his son. This is an incredible man, as you will see. But he was a man who was no stranger to suffering. He's a man who understood that sometimes the call of God will bring hardship, will be, bring struggle. But I want to say to you that I'm sure that Joseph would say, as I have learned in my life, I would rather, be, I would rather suffer in the center of the will of God than to have the things that the world offers and to be outside of God's purpose and his design. Friends, I want to ask you to make that decision this morning for your own life. Otherwise, you'll do what I did. Every time there's a decision to make, we'll be asking the very wrong questions. Instead of asking God, where are you leading? Where are you guiding? Where are you at work? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? We'll be saying, where will I be most secure? Where will life be safest for me? Here's three things that I want you to see in this 
incredible story this morning. Here's the first one. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's desire to have a relationship with you. With you. Not just with the world. Not just with pastors. With you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus came into the world for you. Listen to what we read here in Matthew chapter 1. It's such a beautiful, beautiful passage. It says, all this took place, all that was happening that night for, uh, for Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, speaking of Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now let's go back to the beginning of time as we understand it in the creation of Adam and Eve. God created the man and the woman, put them in the garden, gave them perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. There was just an incredible place to live. There was openness in the relationship with God. Um, they would walk with God in ways that we can't really comprehend. They, there was openness in their relationship with one another. And then, and there was a rightness within themselves. And then Adam and Eve decided that maybe God couldn't be trusted. And they ate the forbidden fruit, and when they did, sin entered the world. And it says in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, that now where there had been no shame, now there is shame. What is shame? Shame is the result of disobeying God. We were created to live in obedience to God. When we don't do that, shame becomes our reality. What does shame cause? Shame causes me to run from God. Shame causes me to run from you. Shame causes me, shame causes me to run away from my wife in our marriage. Shame causes brokenness in our relationships with one another. Shame causes me to not be able to take responsibility for my life. Shame causes me to make excuses for my own sin. Jesus Christ, as we sang about a few moments ago, came into the world to change that reality. There's two things I want you to see here when we talk about this fulfillment of the heart of God to have a relationship with you. There is a, a phrase that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It's very significant. And it's where God says, his heart desire is, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God, you will be my people. That is the heart of God for you this morning. He knows your name and his heart is that you would know him as your God and that you, you would be his daughter or his son forevermore. You would be his child in relationship with him. It says in Revelation, it says God is talking to Christians and he says, behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any will open that door, I will come in and fellowship with them. I will come in and have a relationship with them. I will come in and communicate and walk with them in their lives. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christians. So this significant statement, I will be your God and you will be my people, is fulfilled in Jesus, who is called. That's not his name, but he will be called Emmanuel because that is what he has accomplished. 
God with us. We got to, Mary and Joseph got to hold God in their hands. God with us. The shepherds got to come and celebrate this king of kings. This Lord of lords. God in human flesh. He touched people. He loved people. He ministered to people. He loved people. God with us. But there's a second thing that Jesus did that fulfilled God's promise, I will be your God, you will be my people. Fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And we see it in this passage here. But after he had considered this, speaking of Joseph and what the angel had said to him, or I considered this, this was before the angel appeared. This is after he heard about Mary's situation. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save their people, his people, from their sins. Jesus, what does that name mean? Simply means this, Yehu, God saves. That's what his name means. So what did God save us from? He saved us from our sins. What is the problem of sin? The problem of sin is this brokenness that is, resides in each of us, that causes us to run from God, that causes us to run from each other, that causes us to even be able to be honest about who we are. Jesus, God saves. So what did he do? What did he do to accomplish God with us? Well, he lived the perfect life we could not live. And then he went to the cross in our place. And he took our sin upon himself. He paid the price for our rebellion. He paid the price for our sin. So that he could begin the process that will be fulfilled when we go home to be with him of dealing with the problem of sin and shame in our lives so that we no longer run from God. We no longer run in our marriages. We no longer run from other people. We no longer make excuses for our lives, but we take responsibility. We live with integrity. Why? Because God with us. He has healed the consequence of my sin. He has dealt with my rebellion. So now I no longer run, but God is with me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, right before the day of Pentecost, Jesus had said, it is better for you that I go. Why? Because I will make a place for my spirit to live with you. You see, what happened was Jesus made us righteous by his sacrifice. Now we need to choose to believe in him, to trust him to trust him for our salvation, and he has made us right with God. And now the Holy Spirit comes to live because God has made us holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. And God lives with us, God with us. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you believe it? If God is with us, what does that mean? It means that I can encounter God in my life. It means that I can know the comfort of God, the strength of God. I can know the wisdom of God. 
I can know the strength of God to live the life that he has called me to live. I can know the direction of God for my life. I can know the discipline of God when I'm walking astray. And God knows that that is a path that will bring destruction, not just to me, but to the people around me. And he calls me home and he disciplines me because God with us. Do you see it? Do you believe it? What does it look like to believe this reality? It means constantly opening that door when God is knocking. It means opening your heart to God and saying, Lord, I want you to be the one who leads me and guides me. Lord, I want to know you. I don't want to just read that you're a God of love. I want to encounter your love through your presence by the Holy Spirit in my life. God with us. I don't want to just hear about what God's doing in other people's lives. I want to have God working in my life. So what do I do? I open my heart. I open my life to God in every way that I can. I seek him with all of my heart in prayer, in reading his word, in being with his people, in worshiping God together in serving the Lord. I want to do and be everything that God has called me to be because God with us. Friends, Jesus came, that child was born to be God with you. And Jesus, his name means God saves. That's how he accomplished it. Physically, he was present for Mary and Joseph and the people of his day. Wouldn't you have loved to have been touched physically by Jesus? They call him, that's Jesus with skin on, right? How wonderful to be touched by the presence of God through his spirit and by his spirit as he ministers to you, as he transforms you, as he develops you into the person that he had in mind when he created you. God with us. A second thing that I want you to see in the gospel of Matthew. There are only two gospels that talk about the birth of Jesus. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Jesus. And Matthew's is very short. Luke is where you most of you have the familiar stories. That comes from the gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at that on, on Saturday night on Christmas Eve. But we see also in this passage the virgin birth, which tells us about the nature of Jesus. We read this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen every day, right? This is a virgin. She's never been with a man. But think about it. If Jesus is going to be fully man and fully God, we would expect that his birth would be unique. He is fully God because that which uh, what God did in Mary was him. This is not one who was born of the work of a mother, a human mother and a human father. It was God doing the work in Mary, which we would expect if, if this, not only because this son is fully human and fully God, but also because the reality is since the sin of Adam and Eve, sin is imputed to each of us at the moment of conception. We 
sin is imputed to us in the same way that the moment we believe in Jesus, righteousness is imputed to us, the righteousness of Jesus. And so God bypasses the process because Jesus is perfect. He is without sin. He chooses in his life to stand against sin, to say no to sin, so that he is perfectly obedient in every thought, in every action, everything he does, everything he chooses not to do. He is perfect. This is why the virgin birth, friends, is so important. And I want to say to those of you who are young today, if you have a professor or you have a pastor who teaches that the virgin birth is not a reality, you need to be suspect and you need to think about what I'm saying here this morning. This makes sense and it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. Here's the third and last thing I want you to see this morning. Receive, receive. I want you to think about what this means. Receive God's plan for your life. Now, most of the time we think of God's plan, we're thinking, oh, this huge plan of what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to move? Those kinds of things. Where am I going to live? Those kinds of things. No, it, it's more than that. It's the day-to-day, the day-to-day choices that we make where God reveals much of that through his word. I'm to love God. I'm to love people. And he talks in his word about what that love looks like on a daily basis. But there are times when God will very clearly speak into your life and maybe through, through while you're reading the scriptures, maybe through prayer, maybe through a small group setting, maybe through an encounter with a friend, maybe through a sermon, whatever it is, and you know that God is laying before you, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Now, as I said earlier, what we often do is we hear that and we think, ah, I'm not sure I want to do that. That might be a little hard. That could be a little challenging. I don't want to do that. That is not receiving God's plan. That is not obeying God's plan. Now, what could that be? It could be something as simple as, I need to serve my spouse. Instead of expecting my spouse to serve me. It may be, I need to tell my neighbor about Jesus. Or I, may, I, I need to invite that person I go to school with or that person I work with or my person in my neighborhood, I need to invite them to church. Or it may be, I need to pursue this path in my career. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that when we're open, God leads by his spirit. Do you receive and obey God's plan, even when you don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to you? Are you willing to receive it? Because this is what we see in Joseph. What does the passage say? Joseph got up after that dream. He got up after meeting the angel in the dream. And he obeyed everything that God had called him to do. And friends, Joseph knew that that was not going to be an easy path. Joseph understood the cost of obeying and doing what God was calling him to do. So let's talk just a little bit about Joseph's situation. We see that the angel comes to Joseph 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And in obedience, he gave him the name Jesus. God saves. Now let's talk about Joseph's situation. We know that he was a righteous man. That means he was a man that sought to love God, that sought to obey God. He was betrothed betrothed to a woman named Mary. Now, being betrothed is different, very different from our idea of being engaged. Being engaged means we're, we're preparing for marriage, but we know if things don't look good, we can still bail, right? Before we go up, walk that aisle. And betrothed is very different than that. To be betrothed You've already made a commitment so that legally you are married. Mary and Joseph, although they were not living together, they, had not, they did not consummate their marriage yet, they were betrothed to one another, which meant they were legally married. See, they had a time where you would be betrothed to another person, more than engaged, this is you're married, but typically the husband would be preparing for life with his wife. Often that meant building an extra room onto mom and dad's house. Well, you thought you had a hard time getting rid of your 20-somethings? <laughs> Making, building an extra room for, and then when he's ready, when he's prepared, there would be this great wedding ceremony. So Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Mary comes and says, hey, Joseph, and she seems excited about it, I'm pregnant. Well, Joseph knows he's not the dad. He's a righteous man. He knows that he's not the dad. And then Mary says, yeah, this was the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh... So Joseph knows what this means for him. He knows that Mary is going to be a spectacle in the town of Nazareth because everybody's going to assume that she has been unfaithful. Worse yet for Joseph, they're probably going to assume that it's his child and he did not. He was not a godly man. He was not a righteous man. He did not live as he was supposed to live because they had not been formally, they had not had the formal ceremony yet. They were not supposed to consummate their marriage during this period of betrothal. And I wonder if Joseph's saying, oh my gosh, why God? Why such a hard plan? Why does this have to be so hard? So there's confusion. He's not understanding. But you see his heart? What does he say? He says that he sought, he considered what he was going to do was to divorce Mary what? What did it say? quietly. Why? Because he did not want to shame her. Maybe she could go back to her cousin Elizabeth to that other town where they don't really know her and, and, and have the baby there and then she wouldn't, people wouldn't be looking down on her and she could start all over again. In his own pain, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about Mary. That is extraordinary. That's Joseph. The angel of the Lord appears and tells Joseph, no, this is true. What has happened to Mary is the work of God. You are to take her as your wife. 
Joseph knows what that means for him. It means that his reputation is going to be damaged. It means that people are not going to understand. I mean, can you imagine Mary and Joseph going around saying to everybody, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the work of God. Yeah, I know it's never happened before, but it happened here. Why, God? Why does it have to be so hard? We read on, and what we see is the decree then comes from Caesar Augustus that everybody has to go back to the the town of their ancestors. So Joseph and Mary now make the trip uh, 90 miles south from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because they were, uh, they were from the line of David. And so they make the journey, and uh, Mary is ready to have a baby. And we're going to say more about this on Christmas Eve, but she's ready to have a baby. And so they have their baby, but it's not in their hometown. It's, it's not with all the people, parents. I mean, I, we don't even know if there are any parents there. It doesn't seem to be the case. When you read it, it seems like it's just Mary and Joseph. Maybe their parents had kind of deserted them. Maybe they had ostracized them because of this whole thing with Mary getting pregnant. We don't know. This past week, thank you for praying for the, our grandson, Lon. But uh, Beth surprised our granddaughter by driving up. She's driving back today, but driving up to uh, Sacramento with uh, her husband's permission, not Beth's husband's permission, but with Amy's husband's permission to be there when Amy gave birth. And Amy wept because Mama's here. Mary and Joseph apparently didn't have that. Apparently, it was just the two of them. And then when the baby's born, they put them in a manger, put the little baby in a manger. What's a manger? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. God, why does this have to be so hard? We know that they didn't leave for the next year to two years because the wise men didn't, weren't there on the, um, uh, at the birth. Mary and Joseph were staying in Bethlehem for the next uh, probably year and a half to two years. We know that because Herod declared that all babies two years and under in Bethlehem needed to be destroyed because he had heard from the wise men that this was the king of kings that had been born. And so he wanted to kill the king of the Jews. So they didn't go back to Nazareth. Why didn't they go back to Nazareth? Well, I wonder if it isn't because of all the gossip and all the things that were going on because of the story. Why does it have to be so hard? And then they hear that Herod is going to kill the babies. And so in the middle of the night, Joseph takes Mary and they go. They go to Egypt. They flee to Egypt with Jesus to save the life of the child. A land that they don't know the customs, they don't know the language. Why does it have to be so hard? When Jesus was 12 years old, they, they lost him uh, after they had gone down for the Passover in Jerusalem. And they had left and the, as everybody was going back home again. And they thought Jesus was with relatives and, and with his friends. But they realized a day out that Jesus wasn't there. So they go back and for three days they're looking for their son. Imagine the panic, parents. And then Joseph isn't around when Jesus starts his ministry. He's died. 
See, friends, sometimes we can be at the very center of God's design and his plan. And from a human perspective, it's not easy. God never promises that. God never says it's going to be easy. You can be at the very center of his purpose and design, and yet things can be hard. That doesn't mean it's not the will of God. That doesn't mean it's not the plan of God. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Imagine if Joseph had said no. Imagine with me that Joseph said, ah, no, this is going to be too hard. I'm not doing it. What would he have missed out on? Holding the Son of God. Raising God in human flesh. Parents, can you imagine? You never get a call from the principal's office. He was without sin. Can you imagine when it was, you're sitting around the dinner table with the family and it's Jesus' turn to do the devotion. Can you imagine what it was like to hear Jesus teaching and you got to be a part of that as you raised him as your child? Maybe Joseph died of sickness. Maybe it was a long, I mean, uh, uh, it was a long season of illness, maybe. I don't know. Imagine Jesus comforting his father. Oh, Joseph, in my father's house are many rooms. Oh, Joseph, what God has in store is extraordinary. Oh, Joseph. For a number of years, Joseph was in business with Jesus, his son. They were carpenters together. When they, I wonder if they called their business integrity carpentry. Can you imagine? I think Joseph, if he were standing before us today, would say it was all worth it. Yeah, it was hard. But I wouldn't change a thing. Let me close with going back to my story. So I had a decision to make. Was I going to go to Michigan? I also had an offer to go back into business here in California, where all my family and all my lifetime friends were. A lot more life security. An easier life where I didn't have to work at night or on weekends. And I was paralyzed, not knowing what to do. My problem was I wasn't receiving the plan of God. I was analyzing the plan of God. So Beth was convinced this is where God wanted us, and I trust my wife. She listens to the heart of God. I trust her. And I knew that she had much more clarity than I did. And so I called the church, and I said, yes, we're coming to Michigan. And as soon as I did that, panic. I remember I just laid there. It was January 1st, 1997. Yes, I was born before, before 1997. And I was lying there in my bed. My little Amy came in. Amy was four. And Amy had decided the week before that she wanted to learn how to ride a bike, a two-wheel bike. 
And we had tried, things didn't go well. So I said, well, Amy, let's just wait a few months. Well, Amy comes in, she says, Daddy, I'm ready to ride the bike. She has a little helmet on. And I force myself out of bed, and I get out, and I may have shared this with some of you before, and here she is, you got a picture, this little cul-de-sac, and she's, she's got her two-wheeler, and we're out in the street, and she's, she's pumping, and I let go of the seat, but I'm running right behind her, so that if the bike begins to tip, I'll grab the bike, right? Some of you have done this before, I'm going to grab the seat. She looks back, she doesn't see my hands on the bike, and she hits the brakes. I run into her, and I make sure, because I don't want her to get hurt, that the bike and Amy land on top of me. I said, honey, why did you hit the brakes? She said, you're not holding on. Honey, I'm right here. I'm not going to let you fall. So we did it two more times. And this third time that this happened, and this doesn't happen to me a lot, but God, by his spirit, spoke to me. And what I heard clearly was, isn't she just like her dad? And God flooded my mind in that moment with scripture that I had memorized over the years, reminding me that God had not forgotten me, that God would never leave me, that he was not only in California, not only in Arizona, but hear this, God was also in Michigan. Who would have thunk it? Friends, what, there have been hard days. There have been challenging times. But I wouldn't trade the plan of God for anything. There were times I ended up, I told Beth we'll stay a year. It ended up being 21 years. And there were hard days but I got to see God do things that only God could do. I got to see God minister in ways that were just incredible. You see, God never said I would be comfortable. He never said my life would be easy. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to be with you and you will know my joy and you will know my peace. Friends, giving up, saying, not receiving the plan of God, giving up and pushing away the plan of God, friends, takes us to places that from the world's perspective may be great, but if God's not where God is calling you to be, you're going to know that something's not right. Isn't she just like her dad? Yep. I was hitting the brakes. You see... I'm a dad. I'm not going to let my little girl fall. And God was holding on to me as he holds me today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that just brings such power, such perspective. God, your word is amazing. And as I think about this in my own life today, I realize that I fall prey often to that tendency, to that temptation to look at options and not ask the question, God, where are you calling me to be and go? But I'm saying, what's going to be easiest for me? God, I don't want to live that way. I don't, I don't want to sacrifice your plan. I want to be part of your plan. And in the midst of the pain, Lord, I pray for my friends here, because some I know 
are going through things that seem unfair and not right. God, help them to see that you are there and that your plan is not always easy, but it's a plan that brings joy and life. In the name of Jesus, amen. 